0: Back in the day, in my rock and roll years, drugs are part of the deal. But it's interesting as you look back over your life, how you can see it more as a complex of interwoven threads and realise how some experiences informed where you are today and that's certainly my experience with hallucinogenics or certainly with lsd otherwise known as acid so today on the podcast i'm going to talk to you a bit about my experiences back in in those wild times Um, but more importantly share with you what are some of the lessons i've learned that have stayed with me and been part of having me become who i am today and inform in many ways some of the key ideas that i share And the idea of that, of course, is to help you have that perspective alive in you without having to take the drugs. How cool is that? Hit it, Kim. Welcome to the Be A Brilliant Human podcast. You're in the right place if you're a growth-seeking being who acknowledges the challenges and delights of your humanity on the path to an ever more conscious life. If you want to feel inspired to love and accept yourself, To feel free to be and express you in all your brilliance, if you want to truly value yourself and others and feel energized and alive both at home and in the world, then sit back and take a breath as you explore and grow the brilliance of your beautiful human self with your host, the father of non-personal awareness and creator of the MPA process, Joel Young. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Be A Brilliant Human podcast with me, Joel Young. This is episode number 48, and you can find the show notes if you go to www.beabrillianthuman.com slash 48. In fact, you can find any of the episodes at www.beabrillianthuman.com. If you're new here, welcome. It's so good to have you on board. If you're back, you know I absolutely love the fact that you return and choose to spend this time with me. Um, if you haven't already, make sure you download the MPA process, which you can get for free. You can find that again via the website or you can go to www.mpa, that's November Papa Alpha, dot .me slash MPA sheet or to the general website, which is joelyoungnpa.com. And by the way, if you are new here and you're going, what the heck is MPA? MPA is a really beautiful, powerful, simple way to stop taking things personally to let go of that yucky stuff let in the yummy stuff of life if you're any kind of coach or you're um you work one-to-one in any way with people it's a fantastic tool to add into your arsenal and one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is about how to have non-resistant clients (laughs) and it's interesting how this episode came about um just recently been on an amazing one of my hobbies is photography an amazing overnight photography experience with my girlfriend Karen and uh it was fantastic the only thing really that uh that (laughs) that was a challenge was staying up all night didn't used to be a problem but uh but one of the things about that was we were talking about you know back in the day I guess and uh and I realized how much uh, my experiences of taking LSD, and there weren't that many. We'll get into that. Uh, were gave me some insights, I guess, into the nature of consciousness and the nature of um, of our minds and the nature of reality, and uh, and I realised that they inform everything today. In fact, part of it being that MPA is a fantastic way, especially if you're a coach or a therapist, or well, from that perspective. Uh, of having no resistant clients. How cool is that? But go download that sheet. Again, you can go to the main website, joelyoungmpa.com, and you'll find a way to download that sheet there. Give it a go. Um, And, of course, check out all the episodes at www.babrillianthuman.com. Now, today, talking of LSD and drug experiences and my wild youth... What I thought I'd do is is give you a little bit of a backstory on, on LSD, other word commonly known as ACID, and uh, it's actually quite fascinating where it comes from. So I'm going to give you a bit of a history about it, then I'm going to talk to you a bit about what my experiences were, and then we'll get into what were the things I learned, so that you can have those in your awareness pocket. <laughs> Okay, so fascinating history lesson. (laughs) So LSD or acid, LSD actually comes from the chemical name. It's a crystalline version of, and I'll see if I can pronounce this right, lysergic acid diethylamide. Diethylamide? Oh my gosh. LSD, no wonder they shortened it. So it fascinated me looking into it because, again, my experiences were very much hallucinogenic and, and consciousness shifting. So I had a look at the background. and It's quite fascinating. So apparently it was discovered or um, well kind of acts ax- or the therapeutic or, or hallucinogenic aspects of it were accidentally discovered by Albert Hoffman in 1943. What actually happened was he, he got a bit on his finger. And it was absorbed with the finger, and he, he had a very strange experience. And then he started to do experiments on himself and realized that, you know, potentially there was a, a therapeutic or psychiatric application for this. And he worked for a drug company, and that they were interested in those kind of applications. And so the whole beginnings of LSD were around the sort of psychiatric um, therapeutic intervention kind of approach. And in fact, it was taken on in Europe throughout the 1950s. And, and used in that way, there were kind of two approaches back then. There was kind of um, small doses for a period of time and then sort, sort of contained therapeutic conscious intervention. And then there was kind of the high dose kind of create a crisis. Because the thing interesting thing they found was that it would, you know, bring up some of the stuff that was maybe tricky to deal with. And through various ways gave a form in which things could be faced that wouldn't otherwise be faced due to the sort of hallucinogenic kind of aspects to it. And then in the 1960s, it kind of got very popular in in a number of ways. It was championed by a guy called, well, actually, I say a guy. He was a doctor at Harvard, a Harvard psychologist called Timothy Leary. Um, And it kind of, he was, again, going with the therapeutic, but also it became kind of used recreationally and kind of got this sort of, you know, it was kind of the love, peace and and a drug that would break down all the social norms. Part of that whole 60s love vibe revolution. Well, the thing about that period of time is that also they realized that, like most things, most things are neutral. But, you know, <laughs> turn the volume up on something and you're going to also see the dark side of things. So there were all sorts of, you know, people would would commit suicide. There were murders. People became criminals. Um, had psychotic episodes, those kind of things. So I ought to say I should have said this probably earlier that this isn't, anyway. This this podcast does not advocate the use of uh, class A drugs in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> so you know, because that you know it's one of those things that's dangerous. And then as as it moved forward, there was a guy called Terence McKenna who I guess took on the mantle from Timothy Leary, and he got very interested in sort of sort of the psychedelic experiences and how they related specifically to consciousness there's a period of time where they actively looked at that link between you know this sort of hallucinogenic sort of psychedelic experience and how it opens doorways into consciousness and actually raises uh, raises your access to higher states of consciousness and in fact there was a recent article in the independent which says they've just now Again, I love how science catches up. (laughs) Science has now determined that at a quantum level, uh, what happens with LSD is it does activate uh, very similar quantum behavior than those, uh, what's often called the higher states of consciousness. And the way that Terence McKenna described it, and I love how he described it, he said it's like, um, you know, the idea of, of the conscious exploration using hallucinogenics is to go off and retrieve ideas uh, that fell through the net, if you like. He uses an analogy of, you know, you go fishing with a net. It's not about, you know, going out in a little boat and catching a monster. It's about catching those wonderful little beautiful ideas that might otherwise get away and to bring them back and to to serve humanity. And and he describes the idea of us being explorers in inner space, which made me think, in a way that you know if you go to outer space you're gonna need a spacesuit you need a container that will mean that it's safe to go into those environments and in a way I guess I, I can see that sort of hallucinogenics in different forms can provide that that suit, that container, especially if if done in a way which is obviously safe and I'd say controlled. <laughs> might not be possible. Uh, but in a way it's it's a it's a spacesuit to go into that wonderful inner space and then bring back those wonderful perspectives in the way that when the first people who went into outer space came back and they were the first people to see you know the earth as a globe like literally see it firsthand and they came back changed men and um, so and again sort of looking at it in terms of we tend to think of of LSD it is a synthetic it's a synthetic material but it's actually based on a chemical that's found in mushrooms so in and, and there's a lot of sort of resurgence if you like or popularity around plant medicine things like ayahuasca and things which again go back to the shamanic roots of using hallucinogenics as a way to access the other realms um, and if you think about it, something like aspirin, you know, will, we'll, you know, if you've got a headache and, and you take those kind of things, you might take an aspirin pill. Well, aspirin originally comes from, uh, you know, from plants. It actually comes from a sort of a, I think it's called a spurious shrub. Um, it's a class of shrubs, including jasmine. But I mean, back in the Egyptian days, you know, the, the Egyptians would use willow bark. So often it's thought of as you know aspirin comes from willow but really it's the it's the salicylic acid that's inside those plants that has the properties which um, do various things to help with pain relief so in a sense it's like you could argue that even though it's a synthetic substance it actually it's the source of its impact comes from plants so it's interesting in the in the path of LSD how it started out as an accident it became something which was seen as you know back in the in the 50s as something which had therapeutic advantage then kind of got into the whole populace of recreational drugs and then became classified as a class a drug but still in the background there's been explorations in consciousness to today where they're discovering because they know so much more about the quantum level and how the brain works and and about different states of consciousness there's now a lot of science going into uh, states of consciousness I've said that a lot haven't I (laughs) but I just find it fascinating and then again you you bring in that last part which is you know looking back at you know the ancient shamans and shamans over the years that have have used usually herbal based hallucinogens in order to access those different states of consciousness and in a way that was very much my experience when I experienced it and certainly as I look back in terms of what I brought forward I'd say that as Terence McKenna said bringing back some ideas that will serve humanity they certainly served me so I had or I have memory of three distinct acid trips that I did and I want to share a bit about each of them because they sort of. Now I look back over time, I can see how those three and I, and I love that things come in threes. are kind of a, a launch pad for what I went into because this was I was I guess twenty twenty one at the time, and it was before I got into any kind of um so without drug search into consciousness personal development all those kind of things, and uh, and as I look back over them, I can see how if I look at it from a universe, a design by the universe for my ongoing experiences, I can see how it was beautifully set up. So the first one was actually at Reading Festival and I was there with all the band members. Um, We were in a touring band at the time in the kind of alternative goth stroke, um, you know, punk scene, I guess, and uh, or rock kind of era. And so we're at Reading Festival and, and, you know, the idea was muted that we would, you know, drop a tab and see what happened the drummer was going to be the straight man which meant that he was going to remain sober and just sort of keep us in line and it was wild and for me I went into the you know I go back to the 60s and described as the love and peace drug and uh, absolutely I was on the love vibe I've got vague memories of wandering around you know the, you know the campsite of Reading Festival and you know overnight it was very late at night and and sort of going into the arena and having weird conversations and just dancing like a mad thing um and one of the memories there that that I find interesting is that um within the the tent camp there was a uh, a camp sort of enclosure really which was with the Hell's Angels and I went traipsing and unfortunately, Nick the drummer was with me Traipsing into the, the middle of this, you know, this group of, you know, didn't ask to be interrupted, Hell's Angels going, hey, man, I'm on the love vibe. <laughs> I love you, man. And was promptly threatened with a hammer. The guy just to, said he'd sca- cave my skull in if I didn't leave. And and Nick, bless him, dragged me away and, you know, probably avoided serious injury. Which goes to show sometimes, it, you know, in life, if you, if you go if you drop all of those sense of worldly controls <laughs> it can put you in harm's way which is something i experienced much later in in the realm of of spirituality when you became boundless and hence you know i've just been talking a lot recently about boundary boot camp uh, because a lot of encouragement in consciousness is or all of the spirituality is to drop all the boundaries but if you haven't got that mindfulness of the necessity for boundaries uh and I didn't when I was on that acid. You could put yourself in harm's way because we live in a world which, you know, you need to sort of meet the world where it is as much as you meet yourself where you are. And the other thing I remember about that first trip was the come down. Uh, the comedown in my experience from acid is very long and very slow and very weird. <laughs> I remember sitting on the outskirts of, of the camp at Reading Festival and just staring at a fence, one of those wire fences with cross wires, like, almost like chicken wire, and just getting the sense of this disconnection of the rea- reality I was experiencing and the sort of the physical realm. Again, something which I think left quite an imprint on me, and certainly set me up for the experiences I had in the second trip, which was a little while later, but much more in a at home social gathering with friends, uh, kind of a party atmosphere, but not not a busy party, just an intimate gathering of, of, of friends. And um, on that occasion, that was, I think, where I really got to experience the hallucinogenic side of things, because literally I was experiencing the form around me melting. It was an experience like seeing portals opening all over the place. Um, and one of the things that is often reported about um, LSD is it sort of heightens the imagination or the creative aspect. Um, but certainly the experience of of seeing walls melting and and the, the form that, I you know, I trusted my eyes <laughs> to translate reality and believed in it. This is one of the big lessons I learned, really. But the fact that everything was, was seemed so fluid left a massive impression on me. So that was my, and it was generally a really um, joyful, expansive experience, that. Then the third time I took it was was very different because I went into that on the back of going to a, a party away from home. And I think some other people had, had taken some and I felt a sense really of of missing out, really. And so I wanted to take some, so I, I, I dropped a tab, but then other people had to go elsewhere, and a guy said he'd drop me home. So I was dropped home. No one else was in the house at the time. I lived at the time on a, in a little shack next to the river out in the middle of nowhere. And so in a sense, because I think it was sponsored by the sort of fear of missing out, wanting to join in, all those kind of things. And then I was left on my own. It actually became a bad trip. Bad enough for me never to take it again. (laughs) It was fascinating, though, because I was at home. It was like I was just gripping onto the sofa. The only thing that got me through was Led Zeppelin. I put when the levee breaks on. This is back in the day when there was vinyl. Didn't even have a CD player then. And just playing that over and over again and going through the multiple layers of the different aspects of When the Levy Breaks by Led Zeppelin. And I wrote poetry. The one line has stayed with me, that Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin, What Has My Mind Let In? Um but it was a pretty a, a pretty intense experience. Um but as I realise it's like if I go through those now I'm thinking about the series of events that happened there again this is pre-consciousness it really wasn't long after that that I started to explore things internally in terms of doing my own work because in that in that last trip it really was starting to bring up stuff that was in the shadows that I'd been unwilling to face and a lot of the hedonistic behavior that I was indulging at that time was medicinal in the worst possible way. It was, you know, I had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Um, I didn't really do the heavy or hard drugs. I think acid's probably the, the strongest one, but there was loads of weed and all that kind of thing. But mostly used in a way, at least, you know, from a slightly deeper shadow aspect of just trying to cover up all the stuff that was trying to come to the surface but in a sense, I'd had the opening through those experiences. I'd had the experience of of there's something you know, there's something not quite right. <laughs> with everything I've been told, with the reality that I believe is real, and then with the bad trip, it, it it kind of got me, I think, in a place where it was like, okay, something inside me, not not necessarily on the conscious level, because it was through other circumstances that conspired to get me actually to go and start looking at my shit. But it, it was a thing that went, okay, there's there's some demons in here and they're pretty scary and either you're going to face them or they're going to hunt you down for the rest of your life. So it had quite an impact in that way. So what were the lessons I, I'm going to sort of break down? What are the distinct lessons that I take from that? And then, you know, put them back to you as a way to think about things. <laughs> So I think at the the core of of the things I took away from those experiences was was what I kind of mentioned a moment ago which is that I thought that my eye to brain translation was reliable. I had the idea and I think it's kind of it's just there as as an assumption that the things you see the solidness that you see in particular is real, it's the truth of things. But You know, if suddenly what my eyes are translating or my eyes and my brain and all the chemicals that are kicking off, if if that can impact what you see such that walls can appear to melt, then maybe what my eyes and brain are translating as reality isn't so true. You know, what if things aren't so solid? What if this sense of our fixed reality? And at the time, I think I was in a very fixed state of mind about how the world was and what it meant and those kind of things. So I think the question was born that that deep inner question of of questioning reality, questioning my reality, questioning the things that I'd been told, questioning the assumptions. And now of course I understand because I've I've looked much more into quantum physics, the basis of non-personal awareness. Uh, certainly has huge aspects to it, which are you know use the ideas of quantum physics to realise that we're going from a a world where we've been sold this idea of this Newtonian idea of physics, which is the world is solid and separate, it's just like a machine with distinct mechanical parts, to the realisation that everything is energy and therefore is more fluid. Ideas like that, you know, how you perceive. So to to, in case you haven't heard of it, like the idea that reality described in a quantum physics or quantum mechanics sense is that it is both a particle and a wave, a wave as in an energy. And what determines whether it is recorded or measured as a particle or a wave is based on the attention and intention of the observer. So it is so much more fluid. So I think the fact that 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 I had a very visceral experience of that, as I said, it sort of propel, propelled me unknowingly into a realm of exploration. And certainly you could you could argue it's a mistrust of reality, but I don't mean that in the in a negative sense, it's actually a really powerful and positive aspect of my life now is that a lot of what I talk about is questioning the dogma, you know, questioning the assumptions and looking at the the reality that we face as a more unique and fluid experience which has made me a great therapist a great coach because one of the huge things and it's it's threaded throughout MPA and non-personal awareness I mentioned at the top of the of this episode that one of the things that I found is the great benefit of MPA and why it works so incredibly well is threaded within it if you do the training and you really get into the underlying philosophies of non-personal awareness then it is something which questions dogma and certainly drops the assumptions. And when you drop the assumptions, which is that solid idea of of believing your own ideas about what you've been told and and what tends to happen there is you you superimpose them over your client's experience, that creates jaggedy edges, that creates resistance, it creates blocks rather than when you open your mind to a fluid individual reality, to an awareness that, you know, there's room for investigation in what's really there and an absence of judgment based on some set idea of what reality is, then you're in a powerful place where you are on side with the fluidity. And when you can have that fluid experience, then there's no place for that resistance to stick. You know, it's like the good old, you know, it's like water will flow round a boulder. Whereas if you make that water all, all gooey or you <laughs> it's gonna stick to the boulder, you know, or you turn it into velcro, you know, it's gonna stick to things and and make it jaggedy. So I think the 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 primary lesson from my experiences on acid was that that deep questioning. So I guess to put it back to to you is to Just let yourself ponder. It's like, you know, ponder how much you take the ideas about your reality as fixed, as unchanging. Where in your life do you believe your assumptions? Where are the things that seem fixed about you but don't necessarily have a a positive outcome in your life? where can you open into the sort of, (laughs) if only I'd taken acids phase, but just open into that space where you can go, what what if I question the assumptions? What if I ask what's possible? What if I invoke the idea that this is more fluid than I originally thought? If I wanted to implant anything in your mind today, it would be to invite the idea of fluidity, the melting walls <laughs> where things seem unchangeable or impossible, because that is where magic land begins. That is where your world can shift. You just need to open the door. And I think that was the original idea going back to Terence McKenna and some of the original applications of LSD therapeutically. And you know, I say to people often what you do when they ask what you do for a living, I say, I'm a doorman. (laughs) I just open doors. But the idea where you feel like something is so unchangeable, so fixed, even though it could causing you pain, if you can just think back, just think how I remember Joel talking about being on acid and where those really solid walls began to melt, maybe maybe I can question how fixed things are. Maybe I can align with that fluid idea. And that, that can be enough sometimes just to step you to the doorway of possibility. A bit like you think, you know, you're inside the house and then it only takes one step and you're outside the house. And in that moment, you've changed your world. So I hope you take that away today, my beautiful listener. Thanks so much for being here. Do let me know, uh, have you had any wild hallucinogenic experiences? Um, what did you take away from it? Do let me know. There's always on the Facebook page, MPA Rocks, a post that says about the um, about the podcast. You can comment there. You can send me an email, joel at nonpersonalawareness.com. You can even leave me a voice message if you go to www.beableinhuman.com. There's a little button there. Leave me a voice message and uh that's a way to go so just get hold of me let me know and by the way i've now set up a facebook page for the podcast itself it's just just search for be a brilliant human on facebook and you can find it that's also a great place or a great way to get in touch with me and by the way i just wanted to say i just realized looking down at my little scratchy notes here um if you haven't already listened to episode forty-seven, it's about confirmation bias, and it's a great chat that I had with my fabulous marketing mentor James Lavers. And uh, in that conversation about confirmation bias, that goes back to the idea that we can get confirmation bias around the things that we think are real and strong. So the the, the what the thinker thinks, the prover proves, is the way that James put it. And so, again, if you come across things that seem solid and uh, immovable, that's another invitation. And that episode may help you to realize where sometimes we our fixedness does us no favors. So you can find the show notes at www.beabrillionhuman.com slash 48 for this. Hope you have the show. If you like what you hear, share it. Tell someone. Tell someone about the podcast. That'd be fantastic. And if you haven't subscribed already, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you feel moved to, I'd love a review, especially if you're on iTunes cause, or Apple Podcasts, because uh, it seems that they're a good idea on there. But anyway, you can tell me I'm great. I'm up for that. <laughs> All constructive feedback also welcome. No, I'm going to cry. <laughs> With that, hope you do the show. I will see you next week. All that remains as ever is to cue the moo.